morning, everyone. My name's Meredith. I'm part of the church family here and privileged to be able to read God's Word this morning. So if you'd like to follow on on your Bibles, your devices, or the screen, that would be good. First reading is 1 John 2, 12 to 20. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Oh, to there. Okay. <clears throat> now I've lost my place. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And now to John, reading from chapter 1, 19 to 33. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Meredith. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again. Uh, My name's Mike Sams, if I haven't met you, and if you weren't here last week when we did the earlier part of 1 John, uh, chapter 2. Let me pray, and then we're going to get stuck into um, this interesting passage where John gets pretty serious about uh, people's views, and uh, let's pull apart a bit further what the Kiwi Ninja tried to help us with. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can uh, open up your word, and uh, as, we, as we saw last week, and as we're thinking about this week, we're wrestling with what it is to know you. And as we seek to love and obey you, Father, help us to also acknowledge your Son rightly. Amen. Now, there are many things in life that we don't get that other people think makes absolute sense. We have these things that happen all the time. I'm going to give you an example. This may go bad for me later today, but that's okay. So, I think... This person writes rubbish. Do you know that person? It's Jane Austen. That is my... I don't enjoy... Looks <laughs> so you can see I'm in trouble already. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't enjoy... I don't get it. I don't particularly enjoy it. And I, in my family, I, could, I can portray that view as much as I like. My family members... Do not think the same. How do you think it goes when I bring up that view? It was a little bit like the football to the head. I'm in the minority, right? Even Ethan kind of admits to kind of like watching the shows. I'm in the minority. And it doesn't matter what I do, my family won't be persuaded by the fact that they think Jane Austen is brilliant. I cannot convince them. My views, they are, they are solid on that. I think that's exactly what is happening in the passage today. Uh, that uh, John is trying to help uh, the, the followers of Jesus understand what's going on. See, when your view is challenged by someone that you might even know from within, if you are convicted and you understand and you believe what you believe, don't let them change your worldview. So that's what we're going to wrestle with today. That's John's goal. And there's really two areas that he's wanting them to think about. There's two kind of uh, people that he's trying to get them to uh, wrestle with, two perspectives, if you like. But before he does that, he just takes a step back. And he, said, he has this kind of interesting way of talking to them about who they are. He wants to remind them of their identity, if you like. And he does it 
by describing them from three different perspectives. Let's, uh, let's have a read of verses 12 to 14, first of all. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You see, John is saying to them, you intimately have a relationship with God. And he just, he, the way he talks to uh, this, the, the people uh, that he has been pastoring and loving, he calls them dear children. And I think when he's talking about fathers, he's saying, he's saying those of you who are mature in the faith, probably older people, but those of you who are mature, you have this deep knowing of God and who he is from the beginning. And the younger ones, the young men as he describes them, you have, you have um, overcome. You have been forgiven. Like when you are young in your faith, you have received forgiveness. So an easy way to break it up, I think, is just to see, I'm writing to you children because you've been forgiven, you know the Father. Fathers know him who is from the beginning. And young men have overcome the evil one. They're strong because they now have a new way of living. This foundation that he's saying is to remind them, you know what, who you are as we consider two different perspectives. And the first perspective is, do not love the world. This is a little, uh, only a couple of verses, but very significant verses uh, for John, I think, in verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So he's contrasting. He's saying, you can't love the ways of the world and love God equally because they contradict. He said, you've been forgiven. You know God who's from the beginning, fathers. Young ones, you, you know that you've overcome this way. So do not love it anymore. Wrestle with it, but do not love it anymore. And he makes it serious because he says, love for the Father is not in them at the end of verse 15. He's not saying, do not be part of the world or engage in the world. He's not saying, okay, after today, the application is everyone's just got to go off into the countryside. We've got to start some monasteries. You've got to be a hermit. You've got to go and hide away. No, no, no. He's not what he's saying or anything like that that's a little bit more realistic. He's saying your love for things that aren't God's loves is no more. And you do that because... Love for the Father is in not in those who love that. The shift from going, Jesus is the Christ, to, to, to going, Jesus is not someone I have a relationship with, to Jesus is the Christ, is a shift in your loves. You move from loving something that is not of God to loving God. 
And so then he elaborates a bit more, you see in verse 16. So everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So everything, he says, the lust of the flesh, desiring what's not yours, the lust of the eyes, desiring what you see, your pride of life, that is a pride that's un. Uh, me focused, selfish, me first, I'm not concerned about anyone else. This, I can get what I want, pride, does not come from the Father. We do not love that. Why does John say this? Why is he saying this to them? Because as he does through this letter, and we've already gone through it as we've looked at the... Um, Chapter 1 and chapter 2, and what you see in chapters 3, 4, and 5, he keeps going around in circles, is because John has a much bigger perspective. And so he says, when, when you, you're not supposed to love the world because verse 17. When you see verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, this matters because eternity is at stake. He's saying to them, you can't love God and not then live a life of repentance. You can't love God and just go on the way that you were. And what's at stake is whether you want to be with God forever or not. Because that's where eternity is going. Doing the will of God, you live forever. See, eternity is not just Jesus and God in a perfect relationship, which John is always telling us about, right? And we saw last week even. Eternity is about those who have accepted Jesus as the Christ being in that relationship with God into eternity. What matters is massive. So where is your love? And then secondly, the bigger meat of this passage, uh, John wants to address those who reject Jesus. The Antichrist, as, as he calls it. And what's even worse is that they came from within them. And that's why it was a big deal. That's why I, talk, I, I had that um, potentially disastrous illustration at the beginning for me. To see if you'll come from... It's not just people out there that say Jesus is no good. What actually happens is that in Christian communities, sometimes people within will start to say Jesus is not the Christ. Let's have a look. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And just, just to uh, clarify without digging deep into it, when, when he's saying last hour here, what, what, what uh, John is saying is everything has been done that Jesus has to do to save us. There's been, then, uh, there's been creation, 
There's been the fall. There's been God's plan throughout the whole Old Testament pointing to the Messiah coming. The Messiah comes, lives a perfect life, dies for our sin, rises again, ascends into heaven. Everything's done. The last hour is the period of waiting for him to return and to bring everything into fulfillment. And in this last hour, there are going to be people who say it's a load of nonsense. See, you've heard that before, and even now, many antichrist-like people are going to come, and what they do is actively reject the work of Jesus as the Messiah. Those who are in opposition to saying, Jesus has actually paid the penalty for sin. In chapter, in, um, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is our advocate who, is the, uh, who dies for our sins, who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Those who are anti that, who's John is talking about? They are anti the king anointed by God coming. But what he wants them to see is that these were people that were once in some way part of the community. They went out from us in verse 19. They did not really belong to us, for if they belonged to us, they would have remained. That is, the going out and remaining isn't that they moved house and they're in a different region. It's that they're now saying, we don't actually agree with what you believe. And he's saying, if they were actually part of us, they would continue loving Jesus. John is desperate to encourage them to see they are different. That's why he went back and he said, remember, you've been forgiven. Remember, you know him who is from the beginning. Remember, you have overcome the evil one. So when others say, actually, don't worry about it, you know that that's not right. And he says to them, you know, because you have an anointing. Verse 20, you have, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. You have an anointing from the Holy One who has been anointed by the Father. So our first reading today, John the Baptist um, describing how he was out baptizing people, telling them they need to get ready for the Messiah and that there needs to be repentance and forgiveness. And then when he come, when the Messiah comes, what happens? The Father acknowledges that he is the Christ who is going to take away people's sins. The Holy Spirit is on him. He has been anointed. And those of us who trust in him have that anointing. From him, the one who has been endorsed by the Father. And he's saying to them, this is not news to you. You all know this. This is how good it is. You know this to be true. So when we hear things that are different, we reject them. So when we hear people saying other things, we need to consider who is actually the liar. Look at verse uh, 22. Who is the liar? He wants to make it perfectly clear. How do we understand whether we should listen to someone as they encourage us and help us in our Christian walk? Well, 
they will do the opposite to this. The liar is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See, it's actually really simple and crucially important for the Christian community and for anyone here who believes wholeheartedly in Jesus that we don't waver from Jesus is the one we need to trust in. He is God's anointed, appointed King. He is the Christ. He is the one who is our advocate. He is the one who took the penalty for our sins. It's a brilliant picture. Now, many of us today um, are sad because of the Queen's uh, death. She's, whether you're indifferent to the monarchy or not, the one thing we can definitely say about Queen Elizabeth is she was an impressive woman. But she was actually far more than impressive. She actually lived a life consistently saying, my faith in Jesus is my anchor. It's what matters to me more than anything. When there were many questions about Jesus, she never spoke against him. In her address in 2014 at the, in a Christmas message, she said, The life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is an inspiration for me and an anchor in my life. He's a role model for reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. And what John is actually saying, that he wants all of his followers at their time of meeting their maker to continue on acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ. So not only is he a role model for how we live this side of heaven in reconciliation and forgiveness, but he is the one that gives us forgiveness into all eternity. You see, we know God not just by our love towards him and, and our obedience to him as, if, as we were encouraged to last week. We know that we know God if we acknowledge that he is the Christ. And Antichrist, it's not some kind of uh, scary kind of phrase. I mean, who is it? And all that. In here, John is saying, Antichrist, like people, are just those who are actively saying, Jesus is not the Christ. See, you cannot say I'm a follower of God. You cannot say I believe that there's a God. I cannot say I believe that he um, wants me to have a relationship with him in all eternity, but I'm not okay with it being through Jesus. Or that Jesus is real. He did die on a cross, but you know what? It didn't really do anything to save me other than being a good example. And to try and convince us otherwise is not acceptable. And John is wanting his uh, followers, who he sees as dear children, to not entertain the notion for a moment 
that Jesus is anything other than the Christ. See, the Father and the Son are intimately connected in a perfect, harmonious relationship. You see that in that um, reading in, in, uh, in the beginning of uh, John's Gospel, in the way Jesus goes, the Father anoints him, and the Holy Spirit is there, the one who brings it all into being. The Father and the Son are so intimately connected. If you want a relationship with God, you can't bypass Jesus. So John, as he's wrestling with this, he said to them, you know that you shouldn't want to love the world. You know that acknowledging Christ is what it's all about. And so what I'm actually saying to you is remain. Keep going. Continue. Have a look at verse 24. As for you, see that you have heard, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. John is saying, keep going. Are you with him? Keep going. Remind yourselves. Never think hearing that Jesus is the Christ was yesterday's news and you want to move on from that and get something media. Jesus is the Christ, is the meat, it's the best. It is the thing that we constantly go back to, rest in, trust in, acknowledge. Our identity is found in what Jesus has done for us and that he is the king. John does not want those who are trying to lead them astray to actually achieve their goal. He says in verse 26, not up, oh, he's up on the screen. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Don't let them. Because if you go back and think why you actually followed Jesus in the first place, that he is the king, you can remain and continue. And he finishes in verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him. He keeps saying continue in him. This remaining, it, it, it's just there all the time. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Do you remember what we said 1 John is all about? John wants them to have absolute assurance of faith, the confidence in the gospel as we've called uh, this series. And he's saying to them, if you continue in him, when he comes back, you can be totally confident that Jesus will see you and you will be with him into all eternity. Where do you sit with who Jesus is? Is a crucial question, isn't it? You see, my pages are really sticky today. <laughs> um, you see, when it means thinking about whether we acknowledge Jesus or not, 
the first question for us really is, do you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ? It's no good seeking to be a good person and bring that to God if we haven't acknowledged that Jesus truly is the King. Today could be the day that you start remaining in Him. That, yep, Jesus is the King. My rebellion towards Him is no more. My forgiveness I'll now ask for. And I, for the first time, can have confidence that it's been given. That is what one John is desperate for us to see. That we can truly see Jesus not as a king out there, but my king who I live for. Queen Elizabeth was impressive, but she certainly wasn't my queen in the sense of I lived for her in my way of life. But a true king, a true monarch, you give your total 100% allegiance to. And that is what Jesus, the eternal king, is calling us to. Secondly, unlike some of those who come from them that John is worried about, you cannot love God and the world. Remember, you've been forgiven. You've overcome it. Even though we're wrestling with it still and we get it so wrong, so badly sometimes. Is there something about the world you like something in, about the world that you want to love instead of God that you need to slay and bring before Him. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. And thirdly, don't be surprised, even afraid, and most importantly, willing to embrace um, anyone who says Jesus is not the Christ. You see, Jesus, He has given us everything we need. And it shouldn't shock us to think, or take us into a point of despair, to think that there will be people who are standing up today on a Sunday, actually in churches, who are saying things that aren't true. It shouldn't surprise us. It's what, um, what we see the Scriptures say will happen. And in Adelaide right now, there are churches where that's the case, unfortunately. In every part of the world, sometimes there is. We shouldn't be surprised by it, afraid by it, saddened by it, yes. Want to say that it's not okay, yes. But actually, for our part, what we want to do is to be even surer of who Jesus is. That to say, here at Trinity Church Paraka, we will always say that Jesus is our King. That He is always the one who we will follow. And that no one gets to come up the front and say anything otherwise. 
that we will stand for him. That will be our conviction, that we will trust in him. And we do that personally and as a community together. We remain in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is no ambiguity. You have made it clear, so wonderfully clear to us that we are forgiven in Christ. You've made it so wonderfully clear to us that we are, uh, we are awaiting eternity because of our King. Help us to remain and help us never to be persuaded of anything else. In your son's mighty name we pray. Amen.